All right, how are we doing? Good, 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 good. All right, if you have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Am I coming through? Oh, y'all going to break me this morning. I'm going to have to hold one of those microphone things. Check, check. Frank will be back in a minute. I'll, um, I'm going to go wireless. One. Hey. Hey, check one. Hey, I'm coming. Hey, I'm there. Y'all found me. Um, I'm back. Uh, no, um... All right, John, John chapter 11, verse 1, uh, right out of the gate, we're going we're gonna to jump into this and, and see what God has for us. Uh, four things, so you, you type A personalities this morning, uh, here you go. Uh, four things we're going to look at, John 1, we'll get through verse 44 this morning. Uh, first thing is this, everything is an opportunity for the glory of God. Uh, we're going to look at that, see this story, uh, see how God moves and works uh, in a mighty, mighty way for His glory, for His great name. Uh, the second thing that we'll see uh, in this story is that safety is just a figment of our imagination. Uh, we, we think and we long for, we want to be safe, we want to be careful, we want to be... Um, but at the end of the day, we, we can't do any of that. That, that. That's out of our hands. Uh, the third thing that we'll see is I am is our only hope. Uh, and we'll draw to an end with God's glory draws people to Jesus. And I love how uh, one and four uh, relate to each other uh, and sandwich everything in just perfectly as the chief end of man is to bring glory to God and enjoy Him forever. And so uh, this morning for me, just I am excited and nervous. Um, and for me, uh, I get nervous and then I kind of get up and I get going and uh, kind of get into things, and that kind of goes away, and we just go. And for me, um, a little more nerves this morning than normal, uh, and and I believe it's because of where we're going to go over the next three weeks. I, I believe because of what uh, the Lord has put on my heart to ask of us as a church uh, to step into uh, something that is very, very big, um, and that will change uh, the very trajectory of who we are uh, as his people, especially as it pertains to New Life Baptist Fellowship. Um, and I believe that this opportunity that God has given us, as laid before us, um, will forever have ramifications uh, for exactly what we're going to talk about this morning, for his glory, for his honor, for his name being proclaimed in, in all, all of the earth. Uh, I believe the ramifications will uh, stretch, well stretch into uh, eternity and allow us to live out all the more what God has called us to live out as his uh, people. And so some of the fear even this morning uh, from me in my heart is, is this, is I always want to be true to what the scriptures say. I, I never want to uh, uh, take a scripture and manipulate it and make it say something that God has never intended for it to say. And so as I uh, know that this will be a big uh, next couple of weeks for us, uh, I don't want to do that. I, I want to stay true to what the scriptures say. I don't want to use them as a point to try uh, uh, to, to have it say something that's going to fit an agenda or going to fit uh, a, a thought or a way that is contrary to uh, what the scriptures are teaching. Uh, and so uh, for me, scriptural integrity has always been uh, very, very important. Context matters. Uh, what the scriptures say uh, in this day is what they're saying even in our day. They can't mean for us what they didn't mean for the original uh, people of this day. And so I always want to be true to what scripture says uh, and what the case may be before us and so that's my heart that's my desire I never want to rob the scriptures from that and so what we're looking at this morning isn't necessarily uh, a say yes do this or a say no don't do this type of scripture or type of point that uh, we'll be going as we kind of reveal and roll out some things to you it's, it's not one of those it's not it's not either but I believe God has allowed us to land on this day in this scripture uh, to challenge us and shape us, to stretch us a little bit. While we get to look at this, what we'll get to see uh, is the heart and character of God revealed even more. And especially as it pertains to, I believe, our mission and our vision here at New Life. And so I believe scriptures like these, stories like these, invites the born-again follower of Jesus to believe to approach and to step into areas that make absolutely no sense in this world, that, that does not make sense to the natural mind. He invites us in all for the reasoning of bringing glory and honor 
to his name. So I'm going to ask you, if you join me as we pray, we'll walk through these scriptures and we'll start to pull back the curtain on where we believe God's leading us. So I'm going to ask you to pray a little different with me this morning. If you do this, just I want hands up like this, just like we're ready to receive God. Whatever it is that you want to do, and nothing's going to drop from the ceiling or we're not going to come out there and do anything weird, just kind of just as a symbol and just like, hey, God, I'm here, I'm open, I want to hear from you. Whatever you have, whatever you want to say. So will you join me as we pray? Father, uh, again, my, my prayer this morning is this. We want to hear from heaven. Father, we, we want to submit to your calling, to your authority, to your leading. And so, Father, even this morning as we pray our posture, we want that to be one of ready obedience. So, Father, help us hear from you and not take lightly your call for your church. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, God, that we've sang about, that we've celebrated in many ways this morning. You are good. We need you every moment of every day. Father, right now is no different. We want to hear from you. Help us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see here in John chapter 11. Everything is an opportunity for the glory of God, for God's glory. First thing is this, John 11, 1, it says, uh, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, it, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So, so there's the setting, there's the context. You've got Lazarus and his family. He's sick, not, not feeling well, got something going on there. Uh, kind of gives us a little background of who Mary is, anointed the Lord with the ointment, wiped her, uh, his feet with her hair. So kind of gives us some, some insight uh, there. Lazarus isn't doing well. And so what happens in verse 3? The sisters, they sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Again, pulls back the curtain even more. So Jesus loves and cares for this family. Jesus has something special with this family, is near to this family, um, is relationally connected to this family. And so they want to let him know that Lazarus is not well, that he's ill. Something is going on big. And so verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So, so what we read from the scripture is that this illness that Lazarus has is an opportunity for God to get glory. And not just an ordinary way for God to get glory. But what's happening in this story is that the stage is being set. Lazarus is sick and ill, and there's an intended purpose behind the sickness, behind this illness, uh, that, that God is going to do and work in in such a way uh, that it's going to glorify God. So, so what does it mean to glorify God? What is the glory of God? The glory of God is this. It's the beauty of his holiness. It, it's the beauty and the greatness and the grandeur of his holiness. His holiness is, is, is his separation from anything that we've ever known, experienced, seen, been aware of. It's his nature. It's his character. It's like nothing we've ever experienced. His holiness, his being set apart, his righteousness, his goodness, his love, all of that is wrapped up in his glory. And so it's put on display and it's marveled at. That's what it is. He, he, he deserves all honor, all credit, all things. His holiness is what and who he is. See, as God, it's who he is and nobody else is that. Nobody else can even come close. Nothing come, can come close. It's his quality of perfection that can't be improved upon. There's nothing that God can do to make God better. We don't add to God to make him better. None of that. There's nothing that can happen to improve upon him. He can't be imitated. He is incomparable. And what that does is it points to his limitless worth. The value of God never ceases. Never ceases. And so what Jesus is saying here is that God is going to do something through this situation, this circumstance, here with Lazarus, that no one else can ever do. No one else can ever do. So this is an opportunity. That's what Jesus is saying. Even for us as a church, there's opportunities every day for us to live out and point to the glory of God. 
Uh, There's opportunities for us every day to the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we respond to that's going to point to either the glory of us or the glory of God. Every moment of every day, there's an opportunity for us to live in a way that's going to honor and point people back to the greatness and grandeur of our God or back to to the greatness and grandeur of what we think that we are. And so what we see here in this beginning of this scripture is that there is a great, great opportunity for God to get glory. And the same thing goes for us. So what do we take away? What do we, what do we walk away here with these short four verses that God is going to work in this world and do in us to point to his holiness, his beauty, his greatness, which renders to him glory and honor. God is going to work and God is going to do in this world. And if we're willing and we allow him to use us and we submit ourselves in such a way that, that, he, uh, that he works through us, we get to be a part of that. We get to join in with the God of the universe and pointing back to him how great, how awesome, and how much he is worth. And so we, are we aware and are we willing? And do we allow him to do whatever he needs to do in us and through us for his great name? So no matter what it is, Before us as believers, it presents an opportunity to put on display the greatness and beauty of our God. Everything, the way we respond, the way we do, the way we act. And the reason why I say that is because what's the natural bent of the human heart? What's the natural bent of every one of us in this room? It's for self-glorification. It's for self-magnification. It's, hey, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at how great I am. Look at what, what, what I did. Look at how good I've been. Or look at what, what, what I've accumulated or what I've worked hard for. It, it, the, the bent of the human heart is me. Man, I'm the one that deserves to be on the stage. I'm the one that should, should, should get the rightful place of here. I'm the one that the spotlight should be on. That's the natural bent of the human heart. And why I say we have an opportunity to, to bring glory to God in every moment of every day is because he's invited us in to die to self so that we can rightfully put where, where the glorification goes, where the spotlight goes. So for those of us in this room as a follower of Jesus, we'll never be the star of the show. Never. We will always, always, always play second chair at best. Always play second chair at best. And we're living in a world and a day that says that's nonsense and ridiculous, that you deserve, that you should be the star of the show, that you deserve the credit, that you deserve the honor, that that you've worked harder. Look at what you've been through. Look at how you've pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. And I'm here to tell you that you can't pull nothing up nowhere if it wasn't for God's God's, uh, allowing you to. And so we've been invited in every moment of every day to die to self and join in in bringing glory and honor and pointing back to. Because I don't know about you, but I know how my heart is. Certain circumstances and situations, they want to respond like this. But because I'm a child of God, I don't get to respond like this. I respond this way but because he's in me. And so now the natural bent of my heart is to respond like that of Christ. And church, when we do that, you talking about uh, 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 throwing a wrench in things in the world? No, no, you should blow up. You, you should explode at the fact that they didn't put mayonnaise on your sandwich at lunch today. Because you do, you're paying the extra 75 cents for the dang mayonnaise. You deserve it. You've worked hard this week. I, can't, I mean, it's, it's, they write down what your order is and they can't even get it right. They should be blown up on those baboons that can't figure out how to write and to navigate through a sandwich making process. My goodness, let them have it. They deserve to know. Or do they? Do they? Where's grace and mercy come in even for the sandwich maker? So we have an opportunity to bring glory and honor in every circumstance, in every situation to him. That's what we've been invited into. That's what we're going to see in this story. The only explanation in this story is is God. It has to be God, which brings us to the second point of this morning. Safety is a figment of our imagination. Safety is a figment of our imagination. Look, look at this story. There's, there's a little bit here that I think we can pull from, and, and God can really do a work in our heart here to kind of shape us and mold us all the more to get ourselves out of us, and then we'll see about this figment of our imagination and safety. And So verse 5, Jesus uh, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and so there you go again. You see that relational connection. He cares for them. Verse 6, so when, when he'd heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
I don't know about you, but when I read that, I get a little like, okay. So you love them and you really, really care for them. And you know that, that they're not just going to be bothering you because he's got like a little common cold, like a little headache, like, like a little something like that going on. But there's, there's something bigger because they, they've, they've, aggr- or, or they've, they've uh, sent to you and kind of disrupted things for you to let you know this. And then he has the audacity when he heard it, he, what, he stays for two more days. Like, like he, he just hangs out where he's at from, okay, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get back with him in, in two days. I'm like, what the heck? I, I don't know about you, but like when I pray, I expect Jesus to move in. Like when, whenever I go before the throne and I've got a need and, and I try to be like cautious about what I bring before him, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, I, like I expect, I expect a, a, a quick response, right? I mean, think of Amazon can get us our package in two days. Why can't Jesus work through the Holy Spirit to do something in two days? I mean, have you, have you not thought of that? I mean, Amazon's got it figured out, God. What about you? I mean, two, he's going to hang out two more days, and then he's going to go and see what's happened, what's going on? What I've learned in my journey of following Jesus is that time really doesn't seem to be a big deal with him. And I guess when you're outside the scope of time, you're not bound by time like we are, it's not a big deal. It never seems to be as a big deal for him as it is for me. And so what I've learned in that, what I've drawn from that in my walk, in my struggle with him never being on my time, has been this. Sometimes it's not the destination as much as it is the journey. Sometimes it's not so much about me getting to where I think I need to be with him and what he needs to be doing as it is him preparing me to get me to somewhere where he really knows I need to be. That, that, that's what I've learned in my walk because if it, if it was up to me, I mean, we, we would already be doing this or be doing that or something would be happening here or my family would be like this. or my And, and it never seems to work that way with God because he never seems to be in a real big hurry about just bowing down to what I think that he should be doing as God. And I guess when I look at the scriptures, he's got a pretty good track record of knowing what he's doing and being able to work and accomplish, even though it doesn't seem like in a very timely manner on my side, in a very timely manner on his side. Because we're going to see that play out here in the story in a few minutes. We're going to see that happen in the story in a few minutes. And so what I've learned is the destination may be not so much a big deal for him as it is the journey because it's in that journey where he works and he shapes and he molds and he uh, does something in my heart and in me to prepare me for the two days whenever he does decide to let me get there. And I believe that's how he does it in church. I believe that's what he's been doing in our heart and in our congregation over the last years. Verse 7 says this, Then after he said uh, to his disciples, Let us go to, to Judea again, the disciples, verse 8, said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were, were just now seeking to stone you, and, and you're going to go there again. So Jesus here in this scripture, I want to make sure we get this and understand this, Jesus here in this scripture is about to do something that could cause his and his disciples, their safety and their well-being to be jeopardized. Jesus is about to do something that doesn't make very much sense in our world and day to day. Especially when we think about safety, when we think about caring for, when we think about being okay. I mean, he's going to go back to the place where they were seeking to kill him. That's what they've just said. Like, Jesus, um, hello, do you not, we were just over there, and you remember what they tried to do to you? Like, stoning is not a nice, pretty, cute, like, little, little death. Like, they're not just, like, pelting his little back to get, I got an itch right there, can you? No, no, like, they're throwing boulders to, they want to destroy him and kill him and smash him. And they're reminding Jesus of this. And so what we're going to see in this scripture is that for Jesus, it was never up for debate. His safety, his well-being, his health, or God's glory, God's glory always rose to the top. His safety, his, his pleasure, his well-being, his, his own desire, that was always secondary compared to the glory of God being made known and proclaimed. And we see this in the Apostle Paul, don't we? Like those people who are just like, like so focused on God and walking with the Lord. The way, that they, the way that they live makes no sense. Even sometimes in the circles of, of faith, it makes no sense. Why would you do that? It's going to cost you this. It's going to be like that. It's going to happen. Why would you sell everything and move to another country to, to share the Do you know what that's going to do to your kids? The educational system's not. There's no way it's as good over there as it is here. Oh, little Johnny won't be able to play football. What's he going to do? 
Just the way that people live who are sold out for the glory and honor of God just does not make sense, even in the, in the, faith, uh, the circles of faith sometimes. The Apostle Paul was a man like that. I mean, sold out for the glory and the renown of God. Didn't, didn't care about the ramifications, even to his own self. Even to his own self. I mean, multiple times they told him to shut up, to quit, to stop. And what does he do? He continues on, and what happens? He gets arrested, he gets beaten, he gets thrown in prison. He gets lashes, he gets made fun of, he gets ostracized, he's chased. He just did not care. Why? Because he says to live as Christ, to die as a gain. He knew that this wasn't it for him. That the glory of God was far, far greater than any worldly pleasure, worldly desire, joy of life, self, even self-preservation. And that's what we see here with Jesus. The problem is that we've, we've shuffled those around and we've made uh, 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 my safety or my comfort or me primary and the glory of God secondary. And in church, what we see in Jesus' heart, what we see in the scriptures is that, no, no, that, that's, that's wrong. Even if it costs me my life, is God proclaimed? Is his glory made known? I, I, I mean, we, we were, yeah, let's, I mean, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, we're gathered on a Sunday morning. It's rainy, and you're here. We're gathered on a Sunday morning. And I would think that would be your response. Yeah, the glory of God, absolutely. Any situation, every time. Yes, Lord. When was the last time you've lived in a way that's cost you something for the name of Jesus? When was the last time you told your neighbor about Christ? Well, you don't, you don't know what they, they might think or they may say. When, when was the last time... You held your kids out of something because it interfered with, with the direction that God was leading. When was the last time you stood up at work and you proclaimed of the glory of God because of a situation that you weren't going to bow down to and maybe tell a, a, a little lie about to try to get ahead or to try to wax over something or try to not to, uh, uh, not to be uh, uh, put under scrutiny? So, so we, it, it's easy to gather in a room like this and say, yes, God's glory even if it costs me my life. But then we won't even let it cost us some comfortability out there in the world. They just lived in a different way. Their heart and their desire was bent in a different way. Church, we, we've got to get to that place. We've got to get to fight for it with every ounce of our being. Verse 9, Jesus answers and he says this. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not with him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And here we go with the disciples. I don't know about you, but this is, like, this is a warm blanket for me. This is so encouraging, and maybe you don't see it that way, but I want to try to pull it back and help you see this. Then the disciples are going to respond. They say to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll, he'll recover. I mean, these guys... Man, guys after my own heart, right? Like, like, like you would think, I mean, like they've been walking with him for a little while now. You would think they would be able to get this a little bit. Jesus is talking that he's taking a nap because he's got a cold and he just slept through his alarm. Like the camel licks him and it doesn't wake him up. And so we got to go wake him up because he took too much NyQuil that night. And it, no, 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 no. They just don't get it. It's not that kind of sleep he's talking about. Verse 13 says, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was talking about rest and sleep. And so the reason why I say that, man, this is an encouraging scripture, because if these guys had been walking with him, had seen the miracles, had experienced the glory of God made manifest in Jesus Christ personally, and there are times that it just looks like they just don't get it, man, how much more God welcomes us in. You know what I'm saying? How much more in my mess, in my struggles, and in, in my uh, uh, times of just blowing it or missing it, is God not the same way with me? No, Scott. Ah, I'm not talking about that. Get up here. Come on, man. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm trying to, trying to tell you. The thing that I love about the reality of the scriptures and his disciples and men and women just like us is that they're in process. You know what I'm saying? They have not, they have not uh, uh, arrived yet. One day that will happen. I don't believe it will happen this side of eternity, but for us it will happen uh, uh, in eternity with Christ. But, but, man, they are constantly in process, growing, maturing, learning. And that's what we see here even in this scripture. And so Jesus breaks it down for them in verse 14, and he tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. 
so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then look at the pressure here in verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't know how you read that, but I read a lot of sarcasm in that. Okay, Jesus, yeah, let's go wake him up and die. I mean, I, 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 just, I just look at that and I just, I, I just see that. And, and what I love about this story is even the doubt and the scrutiny from within doesn't stop Jesus acting upon it. Well, because Jesus' life was worth so much more than, being, than living physically here in this moment. And so he knew where he needed to go. He knew what he needed to do regardless of the cost. And he goes. His life is at stake and he still goes. This is the savior of the world and he still goes. So what's the takeaway here? Making the glory of God known is greater than our safety, comfort, or well-being. Making God's glory known is greater than our safety, than our comfort, than our stability, than our well-being, than anything else in our life, period. I'm reminded of a story, Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot was, uh, was a missionary. And her husband, Jim, they, they were missionaries and they were, uh, uh, they were, I can't remember where it's at and I'm gonna just real quick kind of just give you the cliff notes of this story. And so uh, they're missionaries and there's this unreached people group uh, that God had burdened their heart for. And so what they do is, is over a period of time is he's a pilot, her husband Jim's a pilot, and so he would fly by and he would drop supplies and he would drop food and he would drop things off as he would fly over very, very friendly and he would drop things out of the window or out of the plane uh, to, to this unreached people group. And so he did that for a while and then he would get braver and kind of come closer and then finally one day was the day that they decided that they were going to land the plane Jim and this other gentleman. And so they land the plane and they get out. They drop something. They get out. They're very non-threatening to this, this group. And so they get out non-threatening and the group takes them captive. Only to kill them. Kills them. And they don't just kill them. But, but, but the, these, this, this village, this, this unreached people group, they end up eating them. Is what they do. They take their life and they eat them. And do you know what that does in his wife's heart? It stirs in her all the more to get the gospel to these people that desperately need it. So do you know what happens? She continues to pray. She continues to seek. She continues to pursue. And, and the story goes like this. Elizabeth Elliot, one of the greatest missionaries we've ever known, ends up taking the gospel to this unreached people group who murdered her husband. And they come to know Jesus Christ as a result of her faithfulness to go. Even if it cost her her life. She, she knew it was worth it. She, she wasn't going to rest and stop at the fact that they took, I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but how do you respond to people like that? I mean, they, they killed my family, and I'm still going to pursue them in love and grace and mercy? I mean, that's what we see in the heart of Jesus here. They, they want to kill you and take you out. Well, let's go. Who's with me? Oh, he's like, okay, let's go get killed with Jesus. This is a great, great day for today. That's what I woke up hoping to do. And so that's what we see kind of happen here. And I just, church, I want, I want to press you. There's always a cost. Always a cost in following Jesus, whether it requires you physically of your life that day or spiritually of your life that day. There is always, always a cost every moment of every day of following Jesus, which brings us to the third point. I am is the only hope. Our only hope. To get to that place, to live that kind of faith, to live that out, to see, uh, to see the world in that regard, I am is the only hope. 17 says this. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. I don't know about you, but anything on the side of the road dead for four days starts to stink. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 not just like stink, but it stinks. So, so he's been in the, in the tomb for four days. So I don't know how uh, logical or skeptical you, you may be, but, but uh, that thought of, well, he really wasn't dead. No, no he, he's four days dead. Like he's not just sleeping and resting like the disciples had thought. It had been four days and people in this day uh, would know whether or not somebody was dead or alive. And so it's been four days dead there. He's gone. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and she met him. And Martha remained seated, uh, but Mary remained seated in the house. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Um, hey, good to see you too, Martha. Doing fine, thanks. The journey wasn't bad. I mean, there's none of that. She just goes right to it, right? 
The, the guilt trip right out of the gate. She starts going at Jesus, just kind of pours it on, and then she kind of puts that little tag, oh, by the way, I know who you are, so if you ask God to do something pretty cool, he can do some of that miracle stuff again. And then, then look at Jesus' response in verse 23. So he says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She, she's, still, she's not even getting it. She just asked him to do something amazing, perform his miracle, and he's like, okay. In essence, he's like, yeah, your brother's going to rise again. And she doesn't even realize what Jesus is saying, or maybe she didn't have the faith at the time, or maybe she wasn't aware of the time. And the way that I look at this maybe is she knows the right stuff, but her faith is not quite on the same page as her theology or her doctrine. She, she knows what the answer is, but her life and her faith isn't living what the answer is yet because her answer is absolutely correct and right. She's just not there. And so what does Jesus do? He helps her understand a little better. And he proclaims that the only hope that anyone can have is found. Look, look at this in verse 25. So he says to her, I am, and these are some of the sweetest words in all of Scripture. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You're, you're right, Martha, you're exactly right. I, I, I am the resurrection and life. Believe in me, you may die, you're going to live. And then he goes on in verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So he breaks down for her real fast and reminds her exactly who he is. And, and I just believe that one of the real meanings behind this statement is this, is that eternal life is only found in Jesus, regardless of what the world says. Regardless of how hard you work, regardless of how much attendance you bring, regardless of how much of money you give, regardless of how uh, whatever days you serve, eternal life is only found in faith in Christ, and that's it. And I believe what Jesus is pointing to here is that life is so much greater and meant for so much more than a short 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, or maybe even 100 years plus that you may live. So much more than that life is about. Life is about this statement. He is the resurrection in life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That's what life is about. That's where the glory comes from is in that reality. And so Jesus had already told his disciples that he was going uh, uh, to do this to glorify God and help them believe and he's pointing that as he's also trying to help uh, uh, Martha and Mary see and believe. And so she responds again in verse 27. Yes, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. She believes it, but does she really believe it the way that Jesus is saying it here in this moment? And so the takeaway from these scriptures is this. I am as our only hope for any and everything especially resurrection in life. Anything ever going to happen, anything ever going to take place, what I'm about to lay before you, the only way that it could ever happen is if I am steps in and brings it to life. If he breathes life into it. If he does, whether it's been four hours, four days, four years, his timing is always perfect and good. His life-giving breath is what we need. And so he's able to bring life and resurrection even to the dead. And so the story goes on. Martha goes and lets Mary know that Jesus is here. And Mary hears this, and so she runs to Jesus, and Jesus is still in the place where he had met Martha there. And so when the Jews see her get up and take off, they, they're wondering what's going on, and so they, they follow her, thinking she was headed to the tomb to weep and to mourn there. And so she comes to where Jesus is, and she falls at his feet. And she says, Master, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. There it goes again, kind of guilt-tripping a little bit. Like, dang it, Jesus, and what are you doing? And so when Jesus sees her crying and sobbing and the Jews are there with her sobbing, he's deeply moved and he says, where did you put him? Where have you laid him? And they say, Master, come and see. And then we have this verse that we all like to quote on Bible verse knowledge day, Jesus wept. And what we miss even in the depth of that verse is Jesus' relationship with these people that he loves and he cares for. Because as we read the story, what we know is he, he knows what's about to happen. Like he's in tune with God and he understands what God's about to do to glorify himself. He's going to use Jesus to bring glory because that, that's the heart of Jesus even. Even Jesus in the world, his desire was never to do anything outside of the will of God or the directioning of God or the provision of God. 
He was always in tune and aligned with the will of God and the heart of God in every moment of every day, everything. And even in this moment, he's the same way. And in this moment, he sees those people that he loves and he cares for hurting, and so he hurts along with them. And and the Jews even recognize this, and they say, I mean, look how deeply he loved him. And some said, some, again, they start to pick it apart. If if he loved him so much, why why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? I mean, he's opened the eyes of the blind man, so why couldn't he have done something here? And then this brings us to our last point. Fourth point is this, is that God's glory draws people to Jesus. Verse 38, look at this again. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and there was a stone that lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And so Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead how many days? Four days. So he's dead. He's gone. He is not there. They recognize. They understand. They believe. They see that. They've seen that. And so Jesus says this in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so hear me, the people of God see and experience the glory of God by faith. We see and experience the glory of God by faith. The world sees it and they think that it's just discipline or that's just a disciplined person or that's just a crazy person or that's a person that's just desperate or, I mean, and you've heard that argument, right? Oh, Jesus is just your crutch. No, Jesus is not my crutch. Jesus is my everything. Look, I need more than a crutch. I don't know about you, but I need, those of you who know me, you know I need more than a crutch. I need more than a crutch. I mean, I I need a dang entourage. I I need a whole medical team to fix me. Like a crutch ain't going, it's just some little something to lean on to help me get, no, I need a whole lot of something to lean on to get through. And that's what Jesus is for me. That, that's who Jesus Christ is. And so the world can say whatever they want to say, they can think whatever they want to think, but hear me, for those of us in the room who have been born again and have got the Holy Spirit living in us, the way that we look at and view situations and circumstances is different than the world. And we're people of faith, are we not? We're people that believe We are a peculiar people is what the scripture says. We are a crazy people is what the scriptures teach. Especially as it pertains to the world and the way that the world does things. The way that the world sees things. The way that the world goes about things. Why would we ever live in a way like that? Unless we've come to faith or we're crazy. And I believe it's faith. I believe it's because we have had our eyes open to see And so that's how we experience the glory of God. See, see, what appears to be a hopeless situation is a perfect environment for God to move in a mighty way to bring glory to himself. So so I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what life has dealt you in this moment through the sovereignty of God because it's not just by happenstance or chance. Where you live, where you work, what you go through, what's happening, the difficulties, the ups, the downs, the struggles, whatever. All of that is an opportunity and environment for us to do what? Draw near to God through faith, Look at it in a way that this is an opportunity to bring glory to God. No matter how they treat you, no matter what they say about you, no matter what they do to you, a great environment for us to show a hopeless world where we get our hope. So verse 41, it says, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus, in tune with God, thank you that you've heard me. He's been praying. He's been seeking. Verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. God says yes to their quest, and what happens? God moves through Jesus to bring a dead man to life so that he would get glory through the physically dead being raised. Today in our world, God gets glory even through the spiritually dead being raised. God gets glory when those who have been made alive return back home and repent of sin, live in a way that doesn't make sense to this world to bring glory to God, whatever that may look like, whatever that means, whatever that may be. Jesus does an amazing miracle this day just like he does an amazing miracle this day in our day. Verse 43 says this, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. The dead was raised. Jesus did it again. Under the submission of the Holy Spirit of, of God, under the submission and direction of God, he listens and he obeys and he brings the dead to life. That's what God does and he gets glory. So what, what, what is the takeaway here? We, as the people of God, must always pray and seek after him. Why? So that we can be aware of opportunities to bring him glory and draw people to Jesus. That's what we've got to do, church. Seeking, praying, 
going after? Why? So that we can be aware of opportunities. Because if we're not seeking him, if we're not pursuing him, then we're pursuing us. And when we're pursuing us, we miss opportunities to bring him glory and to serve him. We miss opportunities to point the credit and the glory to the one that deserves it. When, we're, when we don't have our eyes fixated and our hearts locked into who Jesus Christ is and what he's called us to. So, so what I'm about to share with you has been something that's really, I was going to say, been on our heart for the last three and a half, four years, more like five, six years probably when we was made aware of it. But, but as I taught a covenant class this morning, I always start out with the history of, of how we got here. And I always start out with this little phrase. Because in our DNA, who we are, and, and even the day that I sat down with the founding pastor and had that conversation of him looking to bring me this way, man, what resonated with my heart was the vision and heart behind this church. And what this church longed to accomplish in this world. So, what you haven't known is it's been on the horizon now five, six years. Kind of went away. And then about three and a half, four years ago, it was brought back to us. Only to never be able to, to come to fruition or be able to be brought to the church. And so, uh, I pray, we pray, the leadership prays. And we continue to pray and we continue to seek. And I believe that today's the day that we get to bring this before the church. And we get to ask you to join in and let's pray and let's see if God will do this mighty move. And I just want to give you a heads up. It's a crazy move. All right, so so I'm, I'm acknowledging that. And this is not a very good sales pitch. Hence the reason why I don't sell cars or stuff. I don't sell Jesus very well either. I just get to tell people and they get to see how crazy my life is and what he's done in my life. And I guess that's, that's enough what the scriptures teach. So I know that. But as I look at and as I read this story, is this story not crazy? I mean, when was the last time that made the news? No, somebody gets shot, what happens? They die. Somebody gets hit, they die. They don't come in and, oh, oh he's back four days later, like he's banging on the, let me out. Like you don't see any of that. That doesn't happen. So this craziest story has to be made up. There's no way it can be really true, right? I mean, dead four days, there's no way. And that's the way that you view it if you look through the natural lenses of the flesh. But man, when you've been made alive in God, this story makes perfect sense. Because though I can't remember the last time I saw a dead man four days get up and walk out of the grave. Man, I've seen dead people dead for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 70 years get up and walk toward Christ. And I believe that's just a greater miracle as the physical being raised. But for those of us in this room, we, we don't live through the natural lenses. We don't live through the fleshly lenses. We live and we see things differently. We see lens, through the lenses of faith. And so my fear was, as I present this, as I shared this, my fear was that I don't want to use this scripture to manipulate. I don't want to use this scripture to try to say, well, see, this shows that we need to, or this shows that... I believe with everything in me we need to, or I wouldn't be talking about it. The leadership believes that, or we wouldn't be talking about it. And so I believe that this is where God has us, and this is where God's asking us to take a step of faith and to trust in, in some big ways, and, and even in ways that don't make sense, even right now. And, and so the way that I believe that God is asking us is this way right here. Riverview Baptist Church. Riverview Baptist Church is a church that uh, we've had the privilege and honor to be able to serve alongside here and there. We've done Jerusalem projects over there. We've cleaned up. We've taken care of. We've done some things uh, to help spruce the place up. We've went and filled in and preached for their pastor. Their pastors come here and preached for me uh, when I was on sabbatical. Uh, there's been a relationship there for a while. And so this is a church that is over on Highway 29 next to Mattress Max. And this is a church, not to tag team what the scriptures have said, this is a church that's dying. This is a church that will gather today and there will be five or six folk that will gather there with that preacher who has been faithful for the last four, four and a half years to proclaim the gospel. And he's buried more people than he has gained. And so this church is a church in need. I just so happen to know a church that has a heart and a desire 
to do something when there's a need. As I stood before a group of people this morning and said, man, our heart and our desire is to plant a church, is to be a church that plants churches. So church, this is me bringing before you saying, hey, there's a church that needs to be planted. There's a church that has agreed to allow us to absorb them. Everything that you see in that picture becomes ours. Everything. That building, that facility, there's about five acres there, right on 29. Nice little location over on that side of town. That's dying. And we have the opportunity to step in and say, hey, we'll take it. And we will beg God to do a mighty, mighty work over there like he did in this story. And that we will plant and bring about birth and new life in the fall of 2023. That's our desire. That, that's, that's the hope. So what I'm asking you to do is to pray. What I'm asking you to do is to press in and get serious about Okay, God, what, what do you want New Life Baptist Fellowship to do? What, what do you want to see us accomplish? Because, again, I don't know about you, but there are plenty of seats in this room right now for us to reach a community. Why in the heck would we look at doing something like that? I've been asking God that question for the last three and a half years. Why in the heck would you allow this church to be before us when there's been other churches that have come along and said, hey, we want it. Why would you let us still be here after that period, after that time? Why would you allow us? We're 200. A church of 200 can't plant a church. That'll never work. That'll never happen. That'll never, there's no way. I mean, I can't say, hey, would there be 50 willing to leave and go help plant it? What would that do here? That would debilitate us. You can, we, can't, we can't do that. You're right, we can't. But you know who can? God can. You know where God gets glory? God gets glory in circumstances and situations that don't make sense, even in circles of faith. Even to the most faith-driven people. We can't, how can, looks like a little house. Nobody's gonna come to a little house and worship. I mean, how in the world? And so what I know is that's a place that desires to see the gospel made known. That says, man, we would love to become a part of New Life Baptist Fellowship and that we would love to be launched out and see if we can't go at it again and reach this community. So next week, what it'll look like is this. There's going to be a formal presentation. So service will be a little bit different. We're going to have worship. We're going to get in the Word. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to show you and share with you, because I know that there's probably a thousand different things running through our mind right now. What in the heck is it? This boy's definitely lost it. We need to take a vote. We need to take a vote to get rid of him. Praise God, you know what I'm saying? Hang with me. Press in and ask God to reveal and to show and to move and to work. Next week, we're going to talk about what that looks like. And I want you to come with questions. Many questions as you can think of, as many, uh, whether it's doubts, whatever it is, because, because we, we want to walk into this fully ready, fully aware, as much as we can, this side of eternity, with God's help, with God's providing, with God's uh, 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 providence in moving and working, and we want to see what God will do through us and in us. I don't know about you, but this story said Jesus found out that he was sick, and he knew what that sickness was going to do, and he waits two more days. What can God do in us in this community in the next 10 months, 12 months? He can rock our world like you never believe. He, he, he can, sh you see these empty seats? We may be at two services by then. Who knows? We're not going to knock out walls because that's not our heart and our desire, but we may be, we may be planting two churches. Who knows what God will do in the next eight to 12 months in us and through us if we get serious about reaching our community? And who knows what God's doing in the heart of someone now, this morning, even by me mentioning this. I don't know who God's going to call and raise up. I'd love to be a missionary over there. 15 minutes from this destination right now is a, is a community that needs to hear the gospel. Is a group, is a mill hill that needs to hear about the love of God. Is schools that, that need to hear about Jesus. Is, is kids going home week in and week out hungry. That, that we have the opportunity to, to send food in backpacks like we do here. 
I mean, I mean, let's get crazy for a minute. I mean, who knows what kind of maybe uh, after school ministry we start there. Daycare that may come as a result of it there. Uh, church, if we would press in, die to self, get sold out for the glory and honor of God at all costs, who knows what he will do? What I do know is this, is that this room isn't big enough to hold a mighty move of God. So what I'm asking you to do is to begin to pray, begin to fast. Me, I'm going to fast every Thursday. I'm going to pray every Thursday. Every day, every day I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast every Thursday. What we're going to do is we're going to present, we're going to lay out, we're going to show next week what that looks like, what that means. Let you ask questions. We're going to talk back and forth. We're going to try to figure some of that, that stuff out, help bring uh, ease, ease, ease the wandering of the mind, the heart. And then what we're going to do is November 16th, we're going to have a night of prayer. So we're going to gather in this room and we're going to pray. And we're just going to pray and ask God to confirm in our heart and in our midst what he wants to do in us and through us with this opportunity. Then November 20th, we're going to vote on it. We're going to say, all right, God, we're going to lay, we're going to lay it before you. I'm going to ask you to move and do. And if that goes through, then come the first of the year, we'll look to move toward and absorb Riverview Baptist Church. And we'll look to start to work the plan that we believe that God's given us to do that. So I don't know where you're at this morning. As the band comes back up, I know that's a lot. I think that's a good lot. That's us getting to put our money where our mouth is. It's us getting to, to, to live out and to press in and ask God to do, to do a work, to supply, to move. And so again, I don't know how God spoke to your heart this morning. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, this whole talk about faith, this whole talk about all of this kind of stuff, we'd love to have more conversation with you. Jimmy's here, I'm here. If you want to come pray, if you want to start to begin to pray about this now, I would encourage, I would beg of you to be on your face this morning before God, asking him, God, what do you want to do through us and in this? How do you want to work and move for your glory, for your honor, for your great name? Man, I would, I, would, I would implore you, please flood this altar over the next few weeks and let's pray about this and let's press in. I would encourage you to worship. So whatever God puts on your heart, whatever he lays upon you, man, would you be obedient to this morning? I'm going to pray for us. They're going to lead us this morning in song uh, to close out in worship. I've got a couple announcements and then we'll call it morning. Father, we love you. We need you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness. Thank you for this story. Father, I believe that this is story is a great story that we can draw from. God, for encouragement. God, for faith to see you move in mighty ways to glorify your great name. And Father, that's, that's our desire in this. That's our hope in this, is that you're glorified. God, God, as I lay this before our people and I ask them to join in as we pray, as we seek, Father, you would confirm. We want to follow after you and do whatever you say, no matter the cost. We need you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You respond as God leads. If everybody would stand as they lead us.